Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today it is is my honor to introduce Amy Bernstein to you. And her and I are both in the publishing field. And so I am so looking forward to today's conversation. I love talking to other people who help others publish books. So Amy writes stories that let readers feel while making them think. Her novels include the quote, oh, it's one of those days. I will let her tell you the name of that book, but she was the finalist for the 2020 Petrichor Prize, the award-winning Nighthawkers Dream of Song Times, and Fran the second time around. Amy's an award-winning journalist, speechwriter, playwright, and certified nonfiction book coach. She also teaches workshops on various aspects of the craft of writing. Amy's an engaging conversationalist, and she's an attentive listener. And Amy, we're just so happy and thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you, Kim. You are not the first one to have difficulty pronouncing the Potrero Complex. When I wrote the title for the novel and explored the theme, I didn't quite anticipate that. So that's a bit of a lesson learned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also, you know, when when you're hosting a podcast, it's actually good to read the person's bio before you try reading it out loud. But I was explaining to Amy just before we got on recording here, I was at a retreat for a couple of days in a center that used to be a military base. And so the rooms were very small and my side of the bed was very cramped and crowded. I only had maybe like a foot, foot and a half. And I was walking along there and didn't realize there was metal door stop and I broke my toe yesterday. So I am a little disorganized today. Thankfully, I'm not in a huge amount of pain because that would have made it worse. But definitely being very careful where I walk. I'm watching each step because I don't want to bang that bang that toe again. Because let me tell you, it was painful yesterday. So Amy, I would love for you to just take a few minutes. This is the first time on the Author to Authority podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself and share a bit of your story? You know, first of all, how did you become an author? And then now how do you teach and how did you become, how did you get to the point where you're now teaching others to become authors? Right. Well, first, also, I'll I'll commiserate Kim and say I am a member of the Broken Toe Club. It was years ago, but it was a very uncomfortable experience. So I really, I really can, I really can empathize with your, with your discomfort. Well, I have a long professional background as a writer, uh, decades. I've done a little bit of almost everything that you can do in the writing field, except perhaps work for for television, I've been a journalist. I have working in both print and public radio, which was which was really fun. I've been an executive speechwriter in the Obama administration and some other stints in in DC. I've done a lot of uh, sort of communications work in some technical fields and also for for nonprofits. So both on the human side and kind of on the more like the the, the nuts and bolts machinery side and feels like transportation. So I've really <laughs> covered a lot of the waterfront. But then I also, you know, I really realized, I think when I reached my 40s, I guess, which are behind me now, I really, I really wanted to write fiction. And, you know, I I was a voracious reader as a kid. I always read novels. I I was a literature major and I was English major in college back when we thought that that could still be a find a career, help us find a career being English major. (laughs) Uh, And, and so I started, you know, I started out writing 
please. And then sometime in the last couple, several years, I really turned to novels. And I think that that really is my, that's my form. I've now written, I want to say six, six of them. And so I, but I love this combination of drawing on my background in pretty hardcore, not complicated nonfiction and helping people really explain stuff really clearly combined with sort of an awareness of the power of storytelling, which you of course do in mm-hmm. fiction. So it's a combination that I, I try and draw on. That is awesome. I've actually thought about some point in my life getting into writing a fiction book. And there's a book that my daughter and I love, and it's probably one nobody would even know of. But, and I think it's about 300 pages long. But if I was ever going to write a fiction book, that would be the book I would study because mm-hmm. it is the best fiction book. I have ever seen, like it keeps you in suspense for 300 pages. And even to the last page, it's only on the last page that Mm -hmm. the last little mystery is solved. Well, you know, and, and that is your instincts are so good because, you know, every really good writer reads a lot and studies, studies other books that they admire to kind of see how the, how the sausage is made. The, the flip side of that is, as I commiserate with a lot of my writer friends, we can't, we have trouble re- reading for pleasure now because we're constantly completely dissecting and reverse engineering the books that we read. So you're you kind of, you're reading with kind of two, two minds in a way, but it's, it's just a, a price that you pay. <laughs> I know. Cause like, I, you know, I, I pick up a nonfiction book now, you know, a business nonfiction book and you're right. I analyze it. Like I don't enjoy it. And I'm like, Oh, what would I do with this book if I was actually the one publishing it? And I trying to learn to shut my brain down and just read the book mm-hmm. and get the information I need without stopping to analyze it. So I totally get you there. Exactly. But by the same token, um, I think I'm becoming a better nonfiction writer and a better publisher for my clients because I am looking at a lot of mainstream books that are out there. And really seeing how, you know, first of all, how they're done. But secondly, their strong points and their weak points. And I want to study that because I want to create better books for my clients. Not that our books are bad, but you can always get better. Absolutely. And, and you know, as a, as a book coach, having come through the rather rigorous certification program that Author Accelerator offers for people who want to coach fiction and nonfiction and memoir, it's really great to... I now have a lot of tools kind of in my in my toolkit to do exactly what you're talking about and to really help authors kind of find their best path to publishing and really figure out what story they need to tell. And that's also why I love working with folks on developing a nonfiction book proposal because it's such a great way to get your get your ducks lined up if you want to write nonfiction. You know, you're really going to work out your why and you're going to work out the parameters and the structure of the book and how to really keep it interesting and compelling. So it's great to take people through all that. Yeah, I agree. So let's switch gears and start talking about book proposals. So I know you've got a whole section of teaching and training you want to do, but there's a couple of things first. I just want to cover first. Let's lay a really good foundation for this. A lot of people may not know what a book proposal is and what do you use it for? So maybe you can cover those two first and then I'll let you go into the teaching and training you have for today. Absolutely. And actually that was all part of the scene setting that I was going to do uh, anyway. So 
A nonfiction book proposal is a fairly standardized sales document. And I do put the word sales in there very deliberately. That's a way for an author to bring a concept and a structure for a nonfiction book into the commercial marketplace. So you use a nonfiction proposal when you want to connect with a literary agent, or there are many, many publishers that also will uh, review a proposal without an agent uh, as, as the middle, as the person in the middle. But you do need that document, which has fairly standard components to make a really compelling case for why you know your book should be traditionally published, and we're not talking here about publishing yourself, which is a totally great option. But the other point I want to make about the nonfiction proposal is, you know, fiction writers, if they're going to try and bring a book into the marketplace, they have to have the whole book written and polished and edited. It's got to be in really great shape. But in nonfiction, the wonderful secret is you can just have a couple of chapters written and the rest of the book really is what you're selling in that proposal. So it's a really important document to get a handle on. That is that is really cool. I've never, I never thought about that before. The fact that you don't need to have the whole book written because, you know, I guess in fiction, you kind of have to do because you just, you might have a good structure, but you just never know where the story's going. But with nonfiction, it's not, the book doesn't have to be that. It has to be structured, but it doesn't have to be structured in the same way a fiction book would be. So right. that is quite interesting. Yeah, it really is an interesting journey when you're when well as a book coach as I as I work with clients on developing their nonfiction proposal. But even if an author is is trying to do that on their own, it's a it's a journey that really forces you to come to grips with the true nitty gritty your book and what you're trying to accomplish. So it's a you know it's a wonderful it's a wonderful process and a wonderful tool. Awesome. Okay, well I'm going to let you loose for a bit there, Amy, <laughs> and I'm sure that you know. I will have questions for you at the end. I've never done a book proposal yet because we mostly focus on uh, writing and publishing books for the clients. And so I am very interested in today's conversation and learning from you. Well, thank you, Kim. And thank you for the opportunity. What I'd love to do is help your listeners just understand what the nuts and bolts are of a, of a book proposal for nonfiction so they can get an idea whether this is something that they want to embark on. And let me just say that this starts with, it's so important for any author, either fiction or nonfiction, to really find your why which we talk about a lot in the book coaching world, because you really want to understand why you want to write this book. Because as you and I both know, Kim, this is not easy and not quick. And, you know, it's one of the hardest things that a lot of us ever do, which is to write a book. And so you want to be really clear about why. So in nonfiction, you might have a lot of reasons. You might want to do it because you're building a brand because you want to become a thought leader in your field. You want to build more credibility. Some people write nonfiction books because it's a great way for them to find customers. And, you know, some people, it's sort of driven by ideas. They really, really want to build a better mousetrap for the world. Or they want to tell people, hey, we're doing this thing all wrong. Here's a way to do it better. And sometimes it's really for the writer to satisfy her own curiosity on a subject. And she just kind of goes on an, an exploration that she's eager to share with readers. So there are so many reasons, but it's, mm -hmm. it is important to find your why and be really clear about that. Because if you don't know why you want to write this book and why now, it's really hard to kind of put meat on the bones without being able to answer that question. So yeah. that's the starting point. Then. 
Let's talk about what's really in a nonfiction proposal. The good news is that most agents and publishers, and I say most because there are exceptions, want the same standard pieces, and this is what they'll ask you for. So if you've gotten this stuff down really well, you're in great shape to start kind of bringing your proposal or your ideas to the marketplace. So what's in a book proposal? Well, the first thing is the overview which seems pretty common sense. And this can be a mm, couple paragraphs, maybe a page, probably not more than two pages. And this is where you're really selling the idea, why this book, why now, and why are you the right person to write it? You want to get that reader's attention fast, and you want them to be interested, and you want to draw them in right away. So it's really important to know how to write lack of a better term, great sales copy about your book. You know, you want a strong hook. I mean, all the things that we think about when we're thinking about kind of marketing books. So you start with your overview. Then you're going to have a piece in this proposal. And by the way, this is all made up of separate pieces. You can number them. You could title them. They're all like discrete pieces that make up a whole. You're going to have to do an audience analysis. And this is where you're going to talk about who is really going to read this book. Who is the primary audience? Who is the secondary audience? Is this a book for parents? Is it a book for, maybe it's a book for Black parents? Maybe it's a book for parents who have children under the age of 10. Maybe it's a book for parents who are going through divorce. The point is that you need to get really clear about who the writer is of this mm -hmm. book. And you want to break it down, you know, by their interest. And when you can quantify, let's suppose I want to write a book for podiatrists. Well, I should know how many podiatrists are practicing, let's say, in North America. So yeah. when you, could, you can put numbers to audience, you want to try and do that. But you want to be realistic about it. Like, don't just say, you know, if there's, you know, 150 million women in America, don't just say this is for all 150 million women who live in America. It, that's not yeah. going to fly. So you're not going to want to overgeneralize. Like you're not going to say this book is for every divorced woman over the age of 45. You're going to want to be more specific, right? So a great example would be like, you're going to say, this book is for parents of children aged six to 16 who send their kids to summer camp or plan to send their kids to camp or to become junior counselors. With something like that, you're creating a really, really specific yeah. world of readers, the other thing to think about in audience analysis is whose pain are we addressing now? What are the pain points of that reader? Meaning, what do they really need to know? What problems do they have that they haven't been able to solve that your book might solve? So you want to think about the, the reader's pain points and go about, you know, defining them in those terms. Yes. Once you've come to grips with your audience, one of the most interesting and sometimes challenging things you'll also do in your proposal is come up with competitive titles, what we call comps. Now, the common mistake about finding comps is that people go looking for some book that seems to be mm, exactly or as close to exactly like theirs as possible. That's not necessarily the best comp. A comp is a book that would sit next to or near your book on a shelf in a bookstore or a library. And it's kind of swimming in the same soup as you, but it doesn't mean it is exactly like yours. So we're looking for books that are similar, but this is not a one-to-one -one type of match. And when you're coming up with comps, we also want to keep them pretty, pretty recent. Usually rule of thumb is mm, two to three years, definitely not older than five years. And this is something that I tell every client. I say, you're going to take a field trip. 
I want you to visit two bookstores at a minimum, a chain bookstore and an independent bookstore. And I want you to go to the library and I want you to find the shelf where you think your book would live and what are all the books on either side of it and maybe above it and maybe below it. Yeah. It's, it's important to understand the world that you're in. One of the things that um, authors often err on is assuming that they want to pitch a book where they're saying how unique their book is and it's unlike anything else out there. Ages and publishers don't like that. They want to know that you're entering sort of a well-defined field or niche. And yes, you can mm-hmm. offer a fresh twist. You can have a new take, all that for sure. But you don't want to seem like there's nothing like this out there. This is why you've got to come up with comps. It's important. One of the most difficult things you'll do in your proposal, if this hasn't daunted you yet, is you will offer an annotated contents, an annotated table of contents. One of the things that I also ask every client to do is go on to Amazon, find a nonfiction book you like, admire, or want to write something like, and click on the look inside feature. Mm -hmm. Most books, especially in nonfiction, will let you see the whole table of contents. And you can see at a glance how authors are structuring their books. Is it chronological? Is it driven by ideas? Is it organized by data? Is it taking the reader on a specific kind of a journey? So there's no way you can be ready to write your nonfiction book until you can set up a table of contents where we know what every chapter is about and you're going to have a brief description. And I want to see how that one chapter flows from, you know, one to the next to the next. So you really take me on a, on a journey that I can mm-hmm. identify with because remember you haven't written the whole book yet. And that agent knows you haven't written the whole book yet. They want to see that you have a really good handle on the vision for this thing. Very yes. important piece. Very hard to do. Very hard to do. Well, I mean, if you look at it, like, table of contents if you've i mean before you started your book you should already have i mean it doesn't have to be super duper structured but you should already have a basic outline for that book so you know creating the that annotated toc is just more about organizing that outline so that it looks like a table of contents and and filling in the little spots where it may seem you know, a bit on the weaker side in the outline, because sometimes, you know, when you're writing, well, okay, I've noticed two writers. So Amy, you can comment on this if you've seen it. I've worked with clients that want their outline so super duper structured, like down to the nth degree. And then I've worked with other clients who, you know, just want the main points and they go with the flow and they love just being able to just, you know, kind of go in the moment. I mean, they prepare, but when I'm interviewing with them, they, they more like the freedom of flow. So have, have you seen that as well? Well, yes, I really err on the side of having a really, really gripping, compelling and clear structure. Because I think that when we're talking about selling through the proposal process, I need my writers to show that they have done all the research that they need to and that they have a clear point of view, which should come across in, a, in an annotated table of contents where you've got two or three sentences mm-hmm. under each chapter heading. And maybe mm-hmm. that book is in parts. Maybe it's in three parts. Well, I want to understand what's the reasons for part one, two, and three. How do yeah. they relate to each other? What are the three or four or six chapters under each one of those parts? How am I going to get from, how are you going to move me from part one to two and two to three? And where am I going to, where am I going to start and where am I going to end up? Mm-hmm. So I often feel like reading an annotated table of contents is 
it's like a, a window onto the look and feel, you know, for the whole, for the whole book, you should have a, yeah. a feel for it. And to be sure, Kim, I mean, there's so many different ways of doing this kind of thing. And, and some writers prefer a looser approach and some really want everything but down. But in the context of the proposal, we want to be pretty, pretty sharp about that, mm -hmm. that piece. Yeah. Um, just two other things that I'll, I'll mention briefly. One is a marketing plan. And a lot of writers really hate this because <laughs> this, this is where, this is where you're telling that agent or that publisher, here's my, here's what, here's the, the great platform that I have, you know, I've got, and if you're the kind of person who can come out there and say, oh, you know, I've got over 75,000 followers across, across four platforms. I'm really active on TikTok. I mean, I'm, I've got it. I've got it going on. I've got a newsletter with 30,000 subscribers. I'm, I'm golden. I'm set. I'm good. That's wonderful. And there are, in fact, writers who are stepping into the nonfiction publishing world who do have that platform. And that's wonderful. But many, many, many wonderful authors and aspiring authors do not. And so, you know, in the marketing plan, it's just a chance to be honest about where you are in terms of both your own platform and visibility, but also steps you know you can take. So for example, I've had clients with low, sort of what I think of as low platform presence. They can mm -hmm. say, yes, but I, I'm going to go to these three key conferences in my field. I'm going to seek speaking engagements. You can speak to intentionality if you just don't have that big buildup. Do you find that to be true too, Kim? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like some of my clients already have the platform, right? Mm -hmm. So they're writing the book because they have the platform and, and the book is the vehicle to reach their right. platform better. But a lot of my clients don't have the platform yet and they're writing the book to help build the platform. Right. It's a little chicken and egg thing there, right? Right? Yeah. 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 Well, look, the the reality is that the truth is, well, first of all, finding an agent is an extraordinarily competitive thing anyway, but many, many, many agents, many really going to gravitate toward an author who already has that platform. That's just, that's just a fact. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, having hopes and aspirations as somebody with, with low or no platform. I mean, you should always, you should try. Should always always try because great books can sometimes find their way to rise to the top. And after all, everybody starts somewhere, right? You know, I tell my my authors who really don't have a lot of visibility. I say, look, at a minimum, get a decent website built. At a minimum, maybe pick one social media platform, just one. You know, where you can start to have some presence. But you know, put heart and soul into how can I really represent my book in the world through speaking, through conferences. What podcast will I be on? Show that show the publishing world that you're thinking hard about it. You know, mm, yeah. so really that those are all the really main things that go in. I mean, of course, you put in a bio and that type of thing. But really, then you're going to share your sample chapters. It's usually two chapters. It's often it can be a first chapter and a last chapter. But I find when the whole book's not written yet, it's very hard to have a last chapter written. So yeah. I often counsel it's an intro chapter and then sort of a chapter one or a chapter one and a chapter two. And those should be fairly, fairly polished so that the reader can get an idea of your style and whether what you're actually writing matches what you're selling in the proposal because you want that to all fit together. And that really is the proposal in a nutshell. Wow, that's so cool. You know, something I was thinking of, Amy, because I think with a, a lot of my clients self-publish. So something I was wondering about was, are there other things you can use this book proposal for? Because I was I was looking at that thinking, man, that 
that would be a really great tool, not just to approach publishers with. I'm so glad you asked that because I do believe that even if you're self-publishing, you still want to accomplish most of the thinking that, that's, that comes out through the proposal, even if you don't call it that. For example, you mm. should still understand who your reader, it, reader is. Yeah. You still should understand who your ideal reader is. You should know what your comp titles are that are out there because you should know that. And particularly something like the overview, you know, even when we self-publish, we have to go out there and sell. So we still need verbiage that really gives mm-hmm. us a strong hook for the book, that gives us a really clear why for the book. So I, you know, I would advise even folks who intend to self-publish and even if they have a sizable platform, most of these elements in the proposal are really going to benefit you in the long run, even if they're just like, you keep them to yourself. They're not meant to be, you know, a single public document. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing I was thinking of, because like even when you're applying to speak at places, like people do up speaker one sheets, but, you know, like that would almost make like a really great speaker introduction as well. Like, especially if, if the selling point is this book that you're, you know, you're going to be using to to speak on stages with. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So, Amy, having published many books, I'm going to ask you the question. And I realize you've probably published mostly fiction. So, But this is the question I ask every author who comes on the show and the audience knows what's coming next. Amy, what was the good, the bad, and the ugly of publishing your first book? Well, this is going to depend on how we define first, actually. Because back in 19, I want to say something like 1998, I self-published my first novel. At that point, I wanted to prove that I could do it. The self-publishing world was in its infancy. A lot of people will have forgotten this era entirely. And there were a lot of companies that turned out to be really shady. And the way they operated was like, we're going to design your cover and make your book look great. And then we're going to make you buy lots and lots of copies of your own book because that's how we make money. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, So, I mean, while it sounds sort of stupid and naive and gullible, to think about that now honestly nobody knew what they didn't know back then really was so new and so I did do that the first time and so so look so the good is that I did write the book I did get it between covers I told myself I know now I can do this again I had the confidence to feel that way I let the book totally die because I did first of all I was working full time it's like more it was like a proof of concept exercise for me the first time out but <laughs> what happened is when I started writing much more seriously novels more seriously later on and I've had novels traditionally published I a PR person that I consulted told me that I should reissue that early book um get a new cover uh you know re- reprint the whole thing and treat it more like an updated you know quote unquote legitimate book in the current self-published environment. I never would have done that, but I did. And I'm so glad I did because not only did I get a much better cover, which really drew some attention, but I got some really, really nice reviews, which is something I'd never tried to do before. So mm-hmm. I, I got a kind of second bite at the apple and that was a young adult novel. And, you know, I, I can't go backwards. I'm a much better writer now than I was then, but you know, we all start somewhere. So yeah. that was an interesting set of lessons learned. <laughs> So, Amy, if people have been listening today and they're like, 
I really need to connect with Amy. Do you have any freebies you give away? And what's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, let me start with saying that I really uh, invite conversations about my work as a book coach, which really is to help other nonfiction authors find their best path to publishing. And if you go to wordfirstbookcoach.com, it's pretty much the way it sounds, wordfirstbookcoach.com. That is my coaching website, and you can learn more about me. And this kind of a, of a journey, if it's something you want to explore, we always have a completely no obligation, free conversation to start with. And so that's that's kind of where we start. We definitely start from that position of free consultation and is to help you figure out, is this the right thing for me? And so I would encourage people to to go check that out if they're thinking about writing a nonfiction book. It's a very difficult thing to do on your own. And a book coach can really give you the support, encouragement, and guidance that will help you get there. Well, thank you very much, Amy. It has been a joy and a privilege having you on the Author to Authority podcast today. Just a quick reminder, listeners, you know, is the Author to Authority podcast helping you, helping you in your business to build a bigger, better business, stronger, faster? Can you please share it out? Do a quick post on social media, tag somebody you know, text them and say, hey, I just listened to this on the Author to Authority podcast. I think you've got to really listen to it. If you could share that out for me, Wow, I would be so appreciative. So this has been Amy Bernstein and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now.